Well, it is another new year. Can you believe that it is 2012? Do you remember when that was like a science fiction movie? 2012? And we're here. We're living in 2012 now, the kickoff of, of a new year. Um, the older I get, which I, I hate that I'm qualified to actually use that phrase. <laughs> I'm trying to adjust to being able to say the older I get. Um, but it's true. I actually, uh, a couple days ago, did something to my back. I've tweaked my back, so I'm a little ginger this gin, ginger. <laughs> I'm gingerly this morning um, because of my back. The, the dilemma is the older you get, you're not sure what you did. To, it may have happened while I was sleeping, <laughs> which is traumatizing because tonight I have to sleep again. <laughs> and I'm not sure what will happen. So uh, this getting older thing, uh, someone told me after the last service, they said my, I think it was their sister always says, this getting older is not for wimps. It's a lot of work getting older. But uh, one of the things that I'm learning is that I always thought when I was young um, that leaders were the ones who were supposed to have all the answers, that leadership was about having answers, especially spiritual leadership, pastors. And the older I get, the more I'm learning that it's not about having all the answers. It's really more about asking good questions and letting good questions shape the quest of our life. So I came across this week, before we get into the questions I want to share with you, I came across this week some questions that are deep questions. So I hope you're ready to think on New Year's Day. I want to give you some questions to contemplate as we start a new year. The first one is this. What if the hokey pokey really is what it's all about? <laughs> you ever think about that? You know, my, my grandmother would love this. What was the best thing before sliced bread? You know, I was here since sliced bread, but before, I don't know what that was. How come you never read about a psychic winning the lottery? Here's one that affects me all the time. At a movie theater, which armrest is yours? Dear, I'm never sure about that. Why is there an expiration date on sour cream? How come there aren't B batteries? You know, there's A, double A, triple A. Someone told me this morning that there actually are B How many of you ever heard of a B battery? He said they're used in like old tube radios, transmitters, something like that. So there are B batteries. And here's the last one. How come you never hear father-in-law jokes? <laughs> it's always the mother-in-law, isn't it? Well... I've been thinking as we come into a new year, I, I, think, I think it's a good time to reflect on the previous year and look ahead to the next year and, and evaluate some things. And, and I'm not a big New Year's resolution kind of guy, but I, I do like to shape some questions that I will ask myself not only this weekend, but, but throughout the year, because I think good questions can really help you make some good decisions. And so I want to offer you uh, five questions uh, this morning that I hope maybe can shape your coming year. Now, I don't know what 2011 was like for you. For some of you, it was probably a great year, maybe the best ever. For others of you, you are glad it's over and would just as soon forget 2011. I don't know what the case may be, but I think these questions can help us as we forge into a new year together. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. The first question that I would suggest for a new year is this. What does it matter? What does it matter? And this is a question about perspective. That's what this question gets to, is, is our perspective. What does it matter? 
really. If you're like me, I find myself sometimes worrying, stressing out, getting frustrated over things that at the end of the day just really don't matter. Have any of you gotten all worked up over things that when you finally are able to step back and go, what am I doing this for? This doesn't really matter, or at least it doesn't matter that much. And for me, for some reason, it seems to happen most when I'm driving. Can you relate to that? You know, some guy just flies by you in the right lane and cuts you off to get in front of you, and something rises up. I just want to chase him down, right? Not that I don't know what I'd do if I ever caught him, but there's just some. And then if I back up and ask the question, what does it really matter? You know what it matters? He's ahead of me. Ooh. There are worse things that could happen than a car actually being ahead of you. What does it really matter? What does it really matter? I've even found myself, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I've found myself at times being frustrated that, that someone would have the audacity to have a car accident ahead of me so it slows me down. Can you be more selfish than that? Someone could actually be hurt, and I'm frustrated because now I'm going to be five minutes late to the coffee shop. So I'm going to ask that question more this year. What does it really matter? Paul, the Apostle Paul, whom we know as, as the writer of of almost half of the New Testament, wrote a letter to a church in a place called Philippi. We call it Philippians in our New Testament. And uh, the interesting thing about this letter that we call Philippians is that he wrote it from prison. Paul was arrested for proclaiming the truth about Jesus, put in chains, and he writes this letter that we call Philippians. Now look at what he said in chapter 1 and verse 12. You can follow along on the screen if you like. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, what's happened to him is he's been put in chains. He's been arrested. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Now, we're talking about something different than getting caught in traffic or, or, or a reckless driver. Paul is put in prison. He's in chains, and as if that weren't enough, there are actually some people on the outside who are working hard strategically to make his life more miserable while he's in prison. And Paul says, eh, what does it matter? As long as the name of Jesus is being communicated, I'm going to rejoice. Now, that's a pretty incredible perspective for someone to have. What would it be like for you and for me if in this coming year we committed ourselves, we disciplined ourselves to frequently ask the question, especially when we felt ourselves getting tense, to ask the question, what does it matter? I think it would change our perspective. 
you might realize that there are some things that just really don't matter at all. And maybe you would be able to just let it roll off your back. You know, I hope if I was making a New Year's resolution, one of them that I, that I would make probably for this coming year would, would be, I want to let more things just roll off my back. I hope that you, if you are one of those people who are really easily offended, that you will get some tougher skin this year. Don't be that person that everyone around you has to walk on eggshells because they never know if the wrong look or the wrong word is going to offend you. Learn to ask the question, what does it really matter? What does it matter? I think you might also find that some things, they do matter, they just might matter differently than you thought they mattered. You may gain a different perspective. You might be able to see that in the midst of your inconvenience or even in the midst of your pain or disappointment or betrayal, that God is working to expand your character and even expand his kingdom through those circumstances. Now, I understand the last thing anyone wants to hear when you're going through a struggle in your life is for some insensitive, holier-than-thou person to flippantly say, well, God will use it. I know. The dilemma is there's truth in it. There really is. God will never waste a pain if you allow him to use it. doesn't mean he brought it, but he'll never waste it if you will allow him to use it to shape your life. Paul actually said in another letter, it's not on the screen, but in a letter he wrote to the church in Rome, he actually said, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So we actually rejoice in our suffering. James, in James chapter one said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith brings about, produces perseverance. And, and, and in that perseverance, it has, to, it has to work itself out so that we can be mature and complete. So we become mature and complete as followers of Jesus because we have challenges and struggles in our lives. I would suggest that the church in America struggles with a theology of suffering. But the writers of the New Testament did not seem to share that struggle. And really throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, it's clear that struggle can lead to growth in our lives. Now, I'm like you. I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that I could develop patience without ever having to wait. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I wish that I could develop courage without ever having to confront fear or ever having to face risk. I wish that I could develop forgiveness without ever having to be offended, or competence without discipline, or persistence without obstacles, or strength without resistance, or integrity without temptation. But it just doesn't work that way. Jesus taught us that there is no crown without a cross. And that's the reality of life. There are things that can't be worked into our lives any other way except for the struggle that life can bring. So this coming year, I encourage you, I'm committing myself to ask the question more often, what does it really matter? Okay, second question, what matters most? What matters most? This is a question of priorities. What, what are the most important things 
in my life? See, this is a very important question. It has been said that the enemy of best is good, right? The enemy of best is not worst. The enemy of best is good. It's easy for us to discern when confronted with a decision what is the better decision and what is the worst decision. Where it becomes tricky is discerning what is best as opposed to what's good. Because the enemy of our lives would settle for just getting us to choose good instead of the best that God's called us to. This question will help in that discernment. What is it that matters truly the most? What's most important in my life? Well, Paul seemed to have that figured out too. Look at Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. Paul writes, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And look at verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. What was it that mattered most to Paul? To know Jesus thoroughly and completely in his power and in his suffering. There once was an expert in the law who came to Jesus and basically asked Jesus this question, what matters most? The way he phrased it was, what is the greatest commandment? And Jews had over 600 commandments that they were expected to keep. And he comes to Jesus and says, what matters most? And Jesus says, the one that matters most The most important, the greatest commandment is that you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus went further. He said the second most important commandment, the one that matters second most, is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said all the law and the prophets, they hang on those two things, that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. So what is it that matters most? relationships, first with God and then with people. Now, here's the dilemma. Most of us would get that question right on the quiz. I mean, if we passed out a quiz today and it was multiple choice and one of the questions was what matters most and one of the boxes was to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and you love your neighbor as yourself, most of us would check the box. We get it right on the quiz. The question is, do we get it right in the way we live? Because I don't know about you, too often I find in my life that there is a gap, a discrepancy between what I say is most important and how I invest my life, my time and my energy and talent and money and all of those things. Is there a gap between what you say and what you know is most important and how you live your life? This question, I'm believing, is going to help me continually make that gap smaller and smaller so that I live my life truly for what matters the most. You know, as a pastor, one of the things I've done many, many, many times is to speak at funerals. And over the last couple of weeks, we've had a number of families at Timberline affected by the loss of a loved one. It's always so difficult any time of year, especially around the holidays and our hearts go out to folks who are grieving a loss right now. We're praying for them. 
But one of the things I've noticed in, in being a part of funerals is that the talk usually is relational in nature at a funeral. Sure, there's talk of accomplishments and what the, the one who's passed away has accomplished in their life, but, but what dominates eulogies is relationships, how the loved one impacted other people. Every single time I speak at a funeral, I'm reminded that every day I live, I am developing the legacy that I will leave behind. The legacy I want to leave behind is a legacy that was lived for the things that mattered most, that I put first things first. And so I want to ask this question in the coming year. Here's a third question to offer for a new year, and that is simply, who's speaking into your life? Who's speaking into my life? That's a question of influence. Who is it that I've allowed to really speak into my life and shape my life? Now, Barnabas, we've talked about Barnabas before. Barnabas was one of the first guys to speak into Paul's life after Paul came to faith in Jesus. Everyone else was afraid of Paul. And in fact, it was Saul then, and everyone was afraid of him. All the believers thought he was faking his faith so he could get in and destroy the church. But Barnabas believed in Paul, took him under his wing, and spoke into his life. Later, Paul would take Timothy under his wing and speak into Timothy's life. I love what Proverbs 19 verse 20 says. It says, listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. See, if we allow the right voices to speak into our lives, it will help us in our quest for wisdom. And a quest for wisdom is even greater than a quest for intelligence. You can be very smart and lack wisdom. But if you want wisdom in your life, you've got to have the right voices speaking into your life. For some of you, answering that question, who's speaking into my life, is difficult to answer because you do life alone. And the bottom line is, the truth is, there's no one really speaking into your life because you haven't allowed someone to get to know you and get in that far into your life where they could speak into your life. Some of you may even be people who speak into the lives of others. And, and you're in a position of leadership and authority and you're constantly coaching and, and, and mentoring other people, but you've put the guard up when it comes to yourself and no one's speaking into your life. For some of you, maybe the wrong influences, the wrong voices are speaking into your life. Let me just take a moment and speak to, to our students that are here this morning, to our teenagers. Never underestimate the influence that people have in your life, those people you call friends. Never underestimate that. Choose wisely who it is you allow to speak into your life and shape your values and shape the way you make decisions about your life. For some of you, maybe you, you just allow culture to shape your life, and that's the greatest influence. I know some people who, who are Christians who are more influenced by Oprah than Scripture. Now, that's not a dig at Oprah, so don't send me an email. But if you compare Oprah with Scripture, it's a dig at Oprah. This is better. Who is it that you're allowing to shape your life and your values? For some, there are voices from the past that are shaping your future. Now, that, that can be a good thing. 
I, I think I've shared before, when I was about 13 years old, I have a cousin who's about four or five years older than me. And every Saturday, my cousin, I didn't even know what he was doing, but every Saturday he would come by my house, pick me up and take me to A&W Root Beer. And we would have an A&W Root Beer float, you know, back in the old school A&W Root Beers where you push the button and they set it on your window and, and, and we would just drink. Now, I, didn't, I just thought it was ice cream time. What was happening is my cousin was speaking into my life. He was helping to shape who I was becoming as a person. And to this day, I thank God for, for Saturdays at A&W Root Beer because he helped shape who I am today. There, I, I uh, make it no secret that I enjoy country music, maybe because it's like the only genre of music where I can actually understand the words. But <laughs> sometimes that's not so good when you can understand the words. But there's a song, there's a song called I Hear Voices. If you listen to country music, you're probably familiar with it. Let me just read uh, some of the lyrics from that song. It says, I hear voices like my dad saying, quit the team and you'll be a quitter for the rest of your life. Mama telling me to say a prayer every time I lay down at night. And grandma saying, if you find the one, you'd better treat her right. Yeah, I hear voices all the time. Sometimes I try to ignore them, but I thank God for them because they made me who I am. See, some of you are being influenced and shaped still to this day by good influences and voices from the past. But for others of you, you're allowing unhealthy voices from your past to still hold you and still shape your life. And I just want to encourage you as we come into a new year, ask the question, who's speaking into my life? Are there some influences you need to muffle? Are there some voices you need to turn off altogether? And are there other voices that you need to turn up, that you need to cling to and listen more carefully to those voices? Okay, fourth question. Fourth question, what needs to change? That's the fourth question I want to ask myself a lot this year. What needs to change? Because this is a question of growth. Where do I need to grow? What is it in my life that needs to change? I love what Paul wrote. Look at, look at chapter 3, verse 12. After saying all those things we read earlier, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Then look at what follows that. Here's what Paul says. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's amazing to me, after all that God had done through Paul, with all of Paul's credentials, Paul still says, I'm not there yet. I still need to grow. I still need to learn. I still need to change. So I press on towards this thing God has called me to become. So are there some patterns in your life that in this coming year, they need to change? I know January 1st is technically just another day. I know that. But it's a great time. Why not let it become a day of resolve in our lives where we say there are some things that are going to change. And this time next year, I will be a different person. Why not let this be a day of resolve? Are there some things you need to let go of in the coming year? Things like bitterness or habits, addictions, unhealthy relationships, prejudices, 
attitudes, whatever it may be? And are there some things you need to cling to this coming year? Things like faith, healthy relationships, truth, courage, integrity. Are there some things like that? You know, one of the things I hate hearing people say more than anything else to excuse bad behavior is when they say something like, well, that's just the way I am. Can I just say the way you am needs to change? (laughs) If the gospel is anything, it's the hope and the power that we can be transformed. So I encourage you, what needs to change in your life? And do you have a plan? Because I don't know about you, my life does not just naturally drift towards positive change. I, I, don't, I never accidentally change positively. I always have to be deliberate with that. I always have to make effort if I'm going to grow and, and become more and more like Jesus wants me to become. So what's the plan? Okay, finally, and the most important question that I would offer for a new year is, is simply, who's in charge? Who's in charge? This is a question of lordship. Who's going to call the shots in your life in this coming year? Paul had this figured out as well. Look at chapter 3, verse 18 of Philippians. He says, for as, I, for as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Citizens of heaven, Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Elsewhere, Paul would write, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. See, the thing about Jesus is that you don't just add a little bit of Jesus to your life. It's an all-in proposition when it comes to Jesus. There's no such thing as Jesus the Savior without Jesus the Lord. It's an all-in proposition. And the only one who knows everything about you and loves you anyway invites you to turn to him and live in his kingdom under his loving and caring rule in your life. That invitation is an invitation to surrender. But you're not surrendering to just any king. This is the king who left it all. He left heaven to become one of us. That's what we just celebrated a week ago at Christmas. And he did all of that so he could give his life so that you and I, sinful humanity, could be reconciled to himself, a holy God. And there's only one response that makes any sense when you grasp that truth, and it's surrender, full and complete surrender to Jesus as King and Lord. And I want to give you that opportunity today. So so here are our questions. What does it matter? What matters most? Who's speaking into my life? What needs to change? Those are all, those four are very important questions. Perspective, priorities, influence, and growth. But none of them are as important as the last. Who is it that's in charge of your life? And I want to give you an opportunity this morning on the first day of a brand new year. If you're here this morning and you would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus as Lord and King. I want to pray with you and for you 
to make that commitment in your life. I don't know what the journey has been for you. It may be that it's been a long journey and God has brought it all to this moment and you know in your heart that God is compelling you and drawing you to a place of surrender to him. Maybe, maybe you don't even know why you popped into a church on New Year's Day, but you did and it's just a moment that God is drawing you to himself. Whatever the case may be, I wanna pray with you to turn from living for yourself or whatever it is you've been living for and to surrender to live for Jesus as the king over your life. So would you bow your heads with me, please, and we're gonna just pray. And just before we do go to the Lord in prayer, I just wanna ask you, if you're here today and you would say, I want you to include me in this prayer. Maybe for the very first time, you're surrendering your life to Jesus, or maybe you've done that before, but you've walked away, you've been calling the shots, you've been living for yourself, and and this is the moment God's bringing you back to a place of surrender. If you would say, include me in this prayer, I don't want to embarrass you, so with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand and say, but mention me in this prayer because I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much. So many of you, thank you for your honesty. You can put your hands right back down. Thank you. God, you you see not only our hands, but our hearts. I thank you for people in this room who are just willing to be real, to lay aside pride, to lay aside whatever obstacles have kept them from you to this point, and to just be transparent and say, Jesus, I need you. Would you allow faith to rise in the hearts of people, to believe and accept that Jesus, what you did on the cross was enough, that it provides for the forgiveness of our sin that has separated us from you. We accept it. It's a gift. We can't earn that. We just receive your forgiveness. And then will you give the strength and the courage to turn from living for whatever they've been living for? and to surrender to you, Jesus, as King and Lord from this moment on to begin a journey of surrender to you, to allow you to pour your life into us and live your life through us. God, begin to to grow us, to become more and more like you. And God, for those of us who have prayed the prayer, we've given our life to you, Will you help these questions to shape us so that next year at this time, we will know that we we look more like you. We've become more like you. Our values are more in line with the values of your kingdom. We love people more the way you love people. We see this world the way you see this world, that we reflect you in a better way to the world around us. God, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And God, this morning as we go, beginning a whole new year, our prayer is that our lives will lift high the name of Jesus. God, my prayer for Timberline Church above all prayers is that this church, that everything we do will lift high the name of Jesus. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.